Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today, and this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today we have a bonus episode for you, but before we get to that, I want to take a moment and let you know that if you're not already following us on social media, you should. Search IBC Promo on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, follow us, and then you can keep up with all of the events that happen here at Indiana Bible College, and it gives us a chance to hear from you as well. Also, remember there may still be time for you to fill out the application for Spring 2019. To start that process, visit indianabiblecollege.org forward slash admissions. We'd love to have you on campus as a student, but right now let's hear our bonus episode from IBC senior Rustin Young preaching a message entitled Friends with Babylon. our hands to the Lord real quick. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You'll have to forgive my voice this morning. I've been fighting something for the last few days, as I think a lot of people have. Something's just going around. It's crazy. But uh, I appreciate that word by Brother Benson. Wasn't that fantastic just now? Amen. 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 I'm definitely going to carry that with me when I leave here. It's so important to remember that God brings us peace, even though peace doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like. Amen. I want to take your attention today to 2 Kings chapter number 20, and we're going to be starting at verse number 12. And while you're turning there, I just want to give honor to the staff at IBC, uh, Brother Rodenbush, I was a little scared when I saw that you weren't here earlier, but you showed up, and uh, I feel better now. Uh, thank you, Brother Gallion, for uh, your leadership and example that you set for this student body. I want to thank Stuco for this opportunity and the examples that you set for the rest of your peers. Uh, we appreciate you, definitely. Amen. So 2 Kings chapter 20, starting at verse 12. At that time... The king of Babylon sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor. And all that was found in his treasures, there was nothing in his house, nor all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasure that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come. That all that is in thine house, and that which is thy father's, have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. If you'll set your Bibles down for a second and lift up your hands, let's ask the Lord to anoint the remainder of the service 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the presence that we already feel, and we thank you for the ministering power of your spirit in this place, God. Lord, I pray that the word would go forth, O Lord Jesus, and that it would pierce the hearts of men and divide us under the soul and spirit, discerning the intents of the heart. And let us leave this place more edified than we were when we walked in. In the name of Jesus, would you clap your hands before you're seated this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you for just a moment on the subject of friends with Babylon. Friends with Babylon. So I'm sort of a history buff. I love history. Uh, I, love, uh, I love old literature, classic literature and old folk tales, you know. It just interests me. Not even the tales themselves, you know, but just some of them are so crazy. They're just funny to listen to, you know. How many have heard of uh, Little Red Riding Hood? Okay, everybody's pretty familiar with Little Red Riding Hood, or at least you think so. But I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the original Little Red Riding Hood, just in case uh, your view of it has been distorted by modern interpretations. So, Little Red Riding Hood. She's about seven years old. She's walking through some woods. She's not riding a bike or anything. She's walking. So, Little Red Walking Hood, we'll call her. Little Red, that's better. Little Red. She's walking through a dark forest by herself at seven years old, and she's got a basket, and she's delivering the basket of medicine to her grandmother. This medicine was in the form of wine and cake. I don't know what the medicine was, but, you know, I'm not going to judge the problem. But anyway, so she's delivering, so she's delivering uh, this medicine to her grandma, right? And there's this big bad wolf. Everybody remember the big bad wolf? And he's stalking her, and he's creeping up behind her, and he's behind trees and stuff. And eventually he comes up and he talks to her. And she naively tells him where she's going. She's a little kid. She doesn't know any better. So she tells him that she's going to her grandma's house to deliver this. And in order to distract her, the wolf sends her to pick some flowers. And while she's picking flowers, the wolf heads up to grandma's house. He knocks on the door. He pretends to be the little girl. And then the grandma, not seeing the wolf, but hearing it, she opens the door thinking it's the little girl. Now, spoiler alert, grandma dies right there. She gets eaten. I'm sorry, whatever version you heard as a kid, but that's the original. I'm sorry. So grandma gets eaten real fast. And, uh, and so the wolf dresses up in grandma's clothes, and he waits for the girl in the bed at grandma's house. And the girl finally shows up, and she walks in, and she sees grandma. But something about grandma is different this time. And she looks at the wolf, and she says, Grandma, what a deep voice you have. And the wolf says, better to greet you with. And then she says, Grandma, what big eyes you have. Better to see you with. And she says, Grandma, what big hands you have. Better to hug you with. And she says, Grandma, what a big mouth you have. And the wolf says, better to eat you with. Now, there are two different endings to this story. The original has the wolf jumping out of the bed and eating her, and he goes to sleep. And that's where it ends, right there. There's also like a French ending where a lumberjack comes in and he axes the wolf open and saves the girl and the grandma from his stomach. But, you know, I don't really know what to get out of that story. So we're going to go. <laughs> so we're going to go with the original here. Now, like you, uh, as a kid when I heard this, I was probably about seven when I heard it. As a kid, even... I even thought to myself, man, there must be something wrong with Red if she can't tell the difference between her grandma and a wolf, you know. 
I've never, you know, even as a seven-year-old, I never ran up to a dog, think, hey, mom, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> Just doesn't work that way, you know? So, you know, I just kind of think, you know, she was acting like a millennial or something, and she was playing the identity politics, you know. <laughs> hey, it may be a wolf, but if it wants to be my grandma, it's fine, you know. So, <laughs> anyway, anyway, several, several theories on why Red thought that the wolf was her grandma. But I want to take your attention away from Red for a second and point it towards the grandma, okay. Because my theory is... It was all because of what grandma did. They got her and her baby eaten. You see, grandma couldn't see the wolf, but she could hear it. And if you're a grandma, you've got grandkids, are you ever going to mistake your grandbaby's voice for a wolf? No, right? But she goes up to the door, and thinking it's the daughter, she lets the enemy in. But the enemy doesn't come directly as an enemy. That would be crazy, right? The wolf isn't just like, hey, I'm a wolf, let me in so I can eat you. No, it comes as a friend. It comes as her grandbaby. It comes as something familiar, right? And it uses this influence so that the grandma lets the wolf in. Everybody following me so far? Okay. It's a great story. You should look it up. Anyway, so we just read in our text from 2 Kings chapter 20. But before the events in our text took place, King Hezekiah, Judah's last good king, had previously won a war over the Assyrians. The Assyrians had just taken the northern kingdom of Jerusalem, or uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they had Jerusalem surrounded. It was an impossible situation. They were severely outnumbered. But Hezekiah raises his hands and he cries unto the Lord for help. And the Lord sent his angel at night and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers overnight. The king of Assyria. I mean, he's not pleased that all of his soldiers are dead this morning. So he ends up fleeing, and he goes back to his homeland where his sons end up murdering him in the pagan temple. It was a happy ending, not for him, but for Judah. Happy ending. It was a substantial victory. And then after this, Hezekiah gets deathly sick. And the prophet comes and tells him, you're going to die. But he raises his hands unto God again. And he cries unto the Lord, and God spares him. So just to cover it again, we ha we've had two impossible miracles happen as a result of Hezekiah crying unto God, right? Impossible victory surrounded on all sides, and impossible healing from a deathly sickness, right? It would seem that Judah is pretty blessed, wouldn't you say? But then after this, Hezekiah makes some new friends. A far-off kingdom had heard of his victories, you see. They had heard of the battles and the sickness, which meant they also heard of the miraculous victories. So they decided to send some people to check up on him. They were from a strange land, a far-off land, a land that did not fear the Lord, a land called Babylon. But they didn't come as the Assyrians did. The Assyrians came as an enemy and encamped about them. No, no, no. Babylon came as friends first. Amen. They came as friends. And Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and says, the people you let in, they'll be back. 
But next time when they come back, they're going to take your kingdom. He says, what did you show them? Hezekiah says, I showed them everything. I showed him my precious ointments, my treasures, my whole palace. I let him in. I let them influence me. They'll be back, Hezekiah. But they're not going to come back as friends. They're going to take your kingdom next time. What happens when the enemy comes as a friend? The Bible says in Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Right? Judah experienced that. That's how Assyria entered the land, right? They came in like a flood. They were bent on sieging the city and plundering everything, right? They came in as a flood. But Babylon came as a friend. What's the difference? Well, the difference is when we see the Assyrians encompassed about what did Hezekiah do? He cried unto God, right? But what did he do when Babylon showed up? He didn't cry unto God, did he? He let him in. He let the enemy in. You know, I believe it's right to say that most of us have experienced a flood once before in our lives, spiritually speaking, where your world gets turned upside down. And in those times, we cry unto God in desperation, right? And God shows up and does a mighty work and performs the miraculous. And it's a necessary thing. You know, his word about all his greatness is confirmed to me in a real sense because I cried unto him and he heard me and he helped me. It's in those moments where we can see things like, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? But what I want to talk to you about for a little bit is those dry times where we can't see a flood. You know, I don't see any storm clouds today. Maybe the enemy's not working today. I don't see any waves coming in. Maybe he's off. Maybe he's taking a break. Maybe he's somewhere bothering someone else today. And we get comfortable, right? And we get comfortable, and we make ourselves open. We let our guard down. I'm just here to tell you today that we need to be careful about what we let in this morning. We need to be careful about what we let influence us this morning because what may seem neutral, what may seem harmless, what may come as a friend might end up costing you everything later on. Is this making sense to everybody? I believe that everyone in here has a call of God on your life that you take seriously or else you wouldn't be here. And everybody in here, I believe, has an immeasurable amount of potential just waiting to be fulfilled. And I think you feel that way about everyone that comes through Bible college, right? Everyone has potential to be great. But what happens is when we get comfortable and we open ourselves up to worldly influences, we sabotage our own potential. And we squander what God has held sacred in our life. And we protect which is profane, that which is profane when we open up ourselves to influences. Is this making sense? I'm not trying to be negative today. I'm just trying to be real with you today. Amen. Friends with Babylon. See, the enemy doesn't always come in guns blazing. That's not a good tactic every time. No, sometimes he wants to come in and act like your friend. He wants to come in and entice you. He wants to come in and act like he's got promises for you. Amen. 
Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Brother Fitz, if you, Brother Jonathan, not Fitz, Brother Jonathan, if you could come. And uh, if you'll put that up there for me real quick. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Okay, so let's pretend that this line right here is everything basic, okay? The basic doctrines that make up our belief, the standards that your pastor set or the staff at IBC. Let's pretend that this is the bottom line, and on this side is the world, and that way is the purposes of God for your life. And what he's saying here is that the goal of every Christian is to mature. It's not to stay in the same spot, but this is the starting line, and it's saying You've got to move on to better things. You've got to move on to deeper things. You've got to mature. But what happens is sometimes we get comfortable close to the line, right? We get comfortable. And when we get comfortable, we open ourselves up and our eyes go from the purposes of God to another direction. And I'm just here to tell you this morning that you cannot fulfill the purposes of God with your eyes on the world. It just doesn't work that way. Amen. You may be inside the line right now. You may know all the arguments. You may be smarter than everybody in this school. But you'll never fulfill the purposes of God with your eyes on the world. Amen. It's time we've got, inten we've got to be intentional about our identity in Christ. Is this making sense? We've got to be intentional. And it is not enough just to call yourself separate and get as close to the line as you can. But you've got to intentionally be separate. You've got to intentionally not be like the world. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. It doesn't work that way. But we get comfortable right here. And we open ourselves up. There is no walking backwards into the will of God. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. I'm not going to wake up one day and suddenly be where God wants me to be, right? And I'm not going to progress in God if I'm tampering around with temporal things all the time instead of giving my full attention to the one true God. And I'm not trying to be negative, and I'm not trying to shoot people down, but sometimes we give our precious time to temporal things, and God gets our spare time, and it shouldn't be that way. This has got to mean more to you than anything else in the world. And I want to tell you something right now. God is not looking for somebody who can get as close to the line as they can without crossing it, all right? God is not looking for somebody to do the bare minimum. God is looking for somebody with the fortitude and boldness to say, get behind me, world. I will serve the one true God and no one else. And if you want to serve the one true God, would you clap your hands this morning and say, there is nothing that the world can offer me that is worth forsaking my purpose in God. Amen. There's nothing that the world can offer you. Be not friends with the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in, for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, right? All encompassed in darkness. It's all geared toward my destruction, but it's enticing, right? Maybe it comes as a friend. Maybe it comes as something neutral, something not a big deal. Some things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they become bad because they end up replacing what really matters. Go ahead and play that game for eight hours even though you haven't prayed in four days. You know? 
go ahead and practice all day and night without praying for the anointing that makes change happen. Go ahead and keep yourself busy so you don't really have to devote yourself spiritual to spiritual disciplines. I'm just saying this has got to be deeper. Amen. Paul said to the Corinthians, I will come unto you shortly, but I will not know the speech of them that are puffed up, but I will know the power thereof. It doesn't matter how well I can articulate an argument. It doesn't matter how smart I can sound if there's no power behind it, if there's no anointing, if I'm not walking toward the purpose, but I'm comfortable at the starting point. And I'm here to tell you, don't be comfortable at the starting point because you've been called to do something. How many believe that? You've been called, you have a mandate this morning, all right? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, starting at verse number 10. Amen. Okay. So Jeremiah is a young man, and he's being called by God. And the Bible has it as a verbal interaction, you know. And this is the big moment. This is the job description right here. And the Lord tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah is discouraged. He says, Lord, I'm a child. I cannot speak. But the Lord says, see, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. You see, IBC is equipping us in a certain sense to handle and confront the ideologies and worldviews governing the world around us today, right? And it's important that we gain this knowledge in order to dismantle certain arguments not only for our sake, but for the world around us' sake. We should learn how to, like, you know, debate with stuff and learn why things don't work out as a worldview and why things are not good to throw down, right? To root out, to pull down, and to destroy. To destroy and root out the ideas that are governing the world around us. Arguments presented against God. It's great that people know how to dismantle atheism. I admire those people. I'll never be as articulate as some of those people are. It's fascinating. But I just want to make a point to you today that throwing down and destroying and pulling out is not the entire battle. But you've got to plant something there. You've got to build something that wasn't there before. What good is it to knock down a house if I just leave it empty? Then something else can come in and build on that foundation. And I want to tell you today that you may not have all the knowledge, but you do have the solution that this world is looking for. This world is not looking for mere information. It's looking for power. Paul said, I will not know the speech. I will not know the information, but the power. It's because it's the power that changes lives. It's the power that delivers from addiction. It's the power that heals blind eyes. Amen. And if you're discouraged that you've never seen a miracle like blind eyes happening, let me just tell you, if you've ever seen someone filled with the Holy Ghost, Paul says, I was blind, but now I see. If you've seen someone filled with that power, you have seen blind eyes open as far as I'm concerned. Because it's the power. Amen. Amen. If the musicians want to come, I'm coming to a close really fast.
But the goal of each Christian is to mature, to move on, to progress. Don't forsake the basic things. Carry them with you, but don't stay there, right? But you cannot reach the purpose God has in your life. And you cannot reach the world around you if your eyes are on the world. You cannot, which means I don't open myself up to certain things. I don't allow certain things to come into my life, even if they're neutral, even if they're not wrong by themselves. A misuse, a lack of moderation could draw you away. If you'll stand with me today. Amen. It's not enough just to claim verbally what we are, but we've got to be that intentionally. We've got to intentionally not be like the world. And we have to intentionally be like Christ. And this world wants to offer you friendship, but this world has nothing for you out there. I didn't get in church until I was 16, but I'll tell you what, Brother Rodenbush, I know that there is nothing out there for me but darkness and destruction. And if your eyes are on the world this morning and you're feeling temptation and you feel like the world wants to be your friend, let me just tell you that in Christ there is fullness of joy. And the Lord, when the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not come up lacking ever. But what you need to do is you need to use the power that he gave you to forsake the world and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because the word says, thou shalt serve the Lord thy God and the Lord thy God alone. If you'll come forward this morning, these altars are open as they begin to sing. I want you to lift your hands. This was not an attack, but a sort of evaluating of our priorities. And I want you to, I want you to tell God that I will serve no other person. There is nothing for me in this world, God. I will serve you and you alone.
Indiana Bible College has three major courses of study, biblical studies, worship studies, and our newest major, missiology. For more information about these, visit indianabiblecollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today.